Welcome to the Medicinity podcast. I'm Imogen, a 16-year-old A-level student here to bring you the best people with knowledge and insight on how to get into med school, how to become a doctor, and to help you decide whether a career in medicine is for you. I'm here today with Dr. Lasith Ranasinghe, who is currently a junior doctor at Imperial College London and is also the founder of Make a Medic, but we'll hear more about that later. Welcome to the podcast, Lasith. It's great to have you on here. Thank you for inviting me. That's all right. So firstly, we know you're a junior doctor, but let's go back a bit to med school. Why did you choose Imperial over all the other med schools in London? Uh, Sure. That's a a good question. I mean, I grew up in Norwich, so I had a relatively kind of small town upbringing. And I think as I was growing up, the idea of being in a big city, of which obviously London's the biggest in the UK, felt very appealing to me. It's something that I was quite excited about the idea of living in London and um, and I had a little bit of a taster because my older brother um, went to Imperial as well a good sort of nine years before I did and um, so I had a few uh, visits to South Kensington, Hammersmith, those kind of areas where Imperial students are primarily based and I just loved it. I really loved uh, how, how sort of you know diverse and big and rich London was and how there was so much stuff to do there and um, so I think that's the appeal of London as a whole and then Imperial, more specifically, I think I was quite quite sort of indoctrinated from a young age because my brother went there as well. So when I was probably about, I um, can't remember how old I was, probably about 10 is when my brother went to Imperial. So I felt like I had some sort of insight into life at Imperial for quite a long time whilst I was growing up. And uh, I always sort of saw it as this you know, amazing place to go and study. Um, so when I was applying, I, I primarily applied for London medical schools. Um, and I ended up getting offers from Oxford and, and Imperial. And uh, in the end, I chose to go to Imperial just because I felt like the course structure was was more um, sort of complemented my skills and the type of learning that I like to do a lot better than the sort of more essay based format at Oxford. And I think the other big thing you need to consider when you're deciding on, on medical schools is is the fact that you're actually spending a good five, six years of your life in a place. So it's all good looking at, you know, the league tables and, and all of that type of stuff. But in reality, the thing that's going to make a difference is how you feel in that city or that town or wherever the med school is. Um, so that's that all sort of came together. And I just felt as soon as I got my imperial offer, I just knew that's where I wanted to go, basically. Oh, that's brilliant. It's really good. I have spoken about that before, about how it's really good to enjoy the place you're doing your degree because it is Absolutely. so long. You need to exactly. enjoy the place. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's just such an important part of it as well. I think when, when people are in sixth form, um, you sort of end up in a bit of a bubble. And I suppose most people haven't lived in that many places at that age. So it, it seems a bit abstract trying to figure out what it will feel like to live in all of these various different cities and places. And, and it's more sort of tangible to think about, you know, core structures and the stuff that you're a bit more familiar with, really. But in fact, I think the biggest determinant of your overall happiness at med school will be the place that you're in and the type of people that you're around yeah definitely I mean I haven't gone through it so I haven't got the experience but I can see that that's really really important and you mentioned um a bit about course structure there could you mm. kind of explain what the course structure is like at Imperial sure so um bear in mind that so I started med school in 2014 and finished in 2020 and during my time there they did slightly change the course. Um, I think the content is more or less the same. It's just the way that it's delivered has slightly changed to adapt to sort of new evidence-based methods of teaching. Um, but in reality, the thing that I liked about Imperial was that it, it's, it's pretty science focused. And, and whilst I was at school, I mean, I did three sciences and maths for A-level and I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to have 
a pretty robust foundation in terms of preclinical medicine, how the body works, how the various systems interact with each other before entering clinical school. And so I felt like that was something that really appealed to me in terms of the imperial core structure, the fact that they were very science heavy, they went into detail about how everything works. Um, and a lot of the time people do say, oh, you know what, you don't need that to, to be a good doctor. And fair enough, like each to their own. But I also think med school, it's also about sort of satisfying your sort of intellectual curiosity as well. And some people just like learning all of that sciencey stuff. And whilst you're learning it, it's really interesting, keeps you stimulated, it, it introduces you to a new sort of way of thinking as well. And it develops certain skills that may be of use to you going forwards. Because of the 300 people in my year group, fair enough, the majority of them probably won't be particularly interested in, you know, molecular biology and all of that kind of uh, very specific stuff that can be a bit hard to wrap your head around. But realistically, there'll be one or two people who end up being, you know, the, the world leads in molecular biology in the future. And that's going to be where their story start, started. So I really like the fact that I got a pretty broad exposure and quite a deep exposure, actually, to, to a lot of science stuff in the first couple of years. Um, and the other factor was also just just where Imperial is based. It's in West London. It's a very diverse, uh, culturally diverse and, and demographically very diverse uh, part of London. And uh, and I knew that I'd be working or I'd be doing placements in some amazing hospitals and seeing a, a variety of of different diseases and types of patients and and types of you know socioeconomic um, um, situations to to have to deal with. And I felt like that would likely make me a, a more sort of versatile doctor going forwards. Okay, that's really good to know, actually, because a lot of people I speak to say, oh, I really want lots of clinical practice and it's good that you get your clinical skills in. But hearing more about the kind of actual knowledge and yeah. science, as you say, that's really interesting to hear that Imperial does that. So anyone listening in that wants to yeah. know more about the academic kind of learning side, then uh, listen into this. Exactly. And I think the main bit of advice I'd say is that I think when people are in sixth form or they're just starting med school, they are really, really eager to get their stethoscope around their neck and like and like start to feel a bit like like being a doctor. But to be honest, like all of that is pinned upon having the kind of knowledge and skills to be able to actually perform that job, to offer advice, to make diagnoses, etc. And um, so it, it's almost a bit like, you know, sort of like karate kid, like in some sense, where you have to spend quite a bit of time just going through the motions and, and building your knowledge and building your skills before you can actually put that into action and, and it is kind of exciting you know when you when you go and you can speak to patients and ask them various questions um, but I personally found that I, I quite liked the fact that we spent a little bit of time developing a pretty solid knowledge base so that when I went into hospitals I felt like I had a better understanding of, of what was going on and when I had conversations with doctors and they explained to me what is going on in a certain patient it all made a lot more sense to me whereas if I did that in first year it would all have just gone straight over my head. <laughs> That makes total sense, actually, because it's all good and well being there. But if you don't understand a thing anyone's saying, exactly. then it's a bit pointless, isn't it? Absolutely, exactly. You mentioned there a lot about London and, and what it's like. So how have you found doctor life in London? I've honestly absolutely loved it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I decided to work in the same hospitals that I'd, I'd actually done placements in during med school, just because I was so fond of Imperial and I liked the area of London. I liked the hospitals as well. So I decided to do um, do a foundation program in these hospitals and I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I love seeing lots of different types of people um, and you really do see a cross section of society when you're in, in these West London hospitals. 
Um, so that's one thing I've, I've really enjoyed. Um, from a social perspective as well, I was lucky that quite a few of my friends stayed either in London or in Brighton. So sort of in the Southeast area, it was quite easy to see them more or less on a fortnightly basis. And um, so it meant that I, I had a pretty good sort of social balance as well. And I was able to see my friends quite often. Um, and all of those things do do add up really. Um, because you have to, like, you have to learn how to manage your time a little bit differently when you start working. Um, but fortunately, the stars sort of lined up very, fairly well in my case. Um, and I was able to enjoy the work that I was doing and also have the luxury of being able to see my friends and um, have a decent social life as well. That's really good. The other people on my podcast that have been to London Unis have all said it's very busy. You can meet a lot of people. There's always mm-hmm. something going on. So it's good that you agree with that. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's the best really, place for it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you were saying about diversity as well. So I live in Exeter mm-hmm. and it is not very diverse. So that would be a very good aspect of London because I think Exeter needs that a bit more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I, I was actually quite recently, just a couple, just a few weeks ago, we were doing a sort of charity cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats. So we actually went through Exeter and we stayed in Exeter overnight. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely town. We had a really nice evening there, but I, I completely understand it's a, it's a different uh, sort of demographic that you see in a place like Exeter compared to West London. <laughs> yes, totally. And uh, so now that you are a doctor, you've been through med school, you, you're my first doctor on the podcast, so thank you for All being right. here. But <laughs> what were your expectations going into your foundation years? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it's it's a bit, it's actually a bit difficult for me to answer that question at this point because it's, it's amazing how quickly you lose touch with how you are feeling at a certain point if that makes sense because now that I've worked for two and a bit years like like I feel relatively confident just in my in my general clinical practice and it, it's it's weird to recall a time when that wasn't the case because you do grow sort of so gradually it's a bit like watching a watching a baby grow up day by day you don't really notice the changes but when you look at them sort of on day one versus day you know 700 after they finished two years it's just a completely staggering difference, um, but you don't really notice it on a day by day basis. I think when I started working, I was I was really excited. It, it was a bit of a weird time to start working because um, basically our, our electives at the end of med school got cancelled because of COVID. And um, we sat our exams at home because they had to make everything remote, um, and we had didn't really have a clue what was going on. But we were quite lucky. I mean, at a time when lots of people were being made redundant because of COVID, we were basically being offered jobs earlier. Um, so it meant that we we started work in April instead of August, and uh, and I had a I had a I had a, I had a really good time just because it meant that I could I had the luxury of being able to get out of the house as well. I mean, most people were starting to go go a little bit insane, being stuck at home, not being able to do anything that you know usually gives them a decent quality of life, like going to the gym, seeing friends, all of that stuff. And so it was quite nice to be able to actually you know leave the house, go and engage with some new people, and then come back. Um, so I'd say my expectations were what definitely were like exceeded if anything really because I, I worked at Ealing Hospital initially um, there was a wonderful team there um, I had the I was very lucky to work with like some amazing consultants and junior doctors and it's quite a small hospital so you feel quite welcome quite early on whereas I'd say on the whole when you're starting your life as a junior doctor in a very big hospital it's easy to feel a little bit kind of um, almost like invisible to some extent just because there are so many seniors around you don't feel quite as sort of recognized as an individual whereas these smaller hospitals value the the, the junior doctors a, a lot um so so yeah I had, a, I had a very nice sort of run up into into starting work 
um, where I felt like I, I had a good amount of support. I was able to see a lot of interesting stuff, uh, develop my skills and develop my confidence. And, and I just really did enjoy it, really. Oh, that's amazing. That's so good yeah. to hear. Because I've watched, obviously, there's lots of medical programs out there yeah. and other medical accounts, and they all seem like foundation years are so busy and kind of worse than their expectations but it's really nice to hear a positive side of it and that you actually really enjoyed it and exceeded what you thought it was going to be exactly yeah so I mean I mean there are there, like with any job to be honest I think any job where you're the junior is going to be a bit tough like you're not going to be doing any of the particularly flashy exciting work a lot of it is going to be a bit uh, clerical and and, and 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 not really as glamorous as, the, as you were hoping it to be but that's just the case with any job it's not it's not just medicine I, I know lots of my friends who work in consulting and venture capitalism all of that kind of stuff and what they do when they're sort of at the bottom rung isn't particularly exciting or engaging um, so that's kind of universal for anyone entering any profession I think and there are obviously tricky bits like you know doing long days and night shifts and uh, dealing with difficult patients and, and things like that um, but one thing that I do sometimes feel is that is that there is a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of negative rhetoric surrounding working as a junior doctor. And sometimes that I think has a bit of a negative effect on people who are starting work because you've just done, you know, five, six years working really, really hard to get to where you are. And I always think it's a bit of a shame that there's so many people speaking so negatively about that end result. And then I think a lot of graduates end up going into medicine, going into their, their, their careers, expecting things to be bad. And hence, they're kind of primed to not enjoy it as much as they perhaps would if they kept a bit of an open mind. So I try to dispel that as much as possible. I mean, of course, there's, there's certain things that are, that are tricky about it. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, mm. But at the same time, I mean, you spent five, six years training for something. You've been, you've been aspiring to do this for probably nine on 10 years, actually. And you should feel excited about it and you should be told the positive things about it as you are just about to enter that field. So that's one thing I try to do because I think on the whole, there's a lot of gen like generally negative rhetoric all around it. I mean, it makes so much sense. You've spent so much time and effort doing this degree. Yeah. Why would you go into it, into the actual job with such a negative mindset? Like, why would you do that? Exactly. Obviously, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And you know it's going to be hard, but don't be negative about it because literally, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, I, I use the analogy of it being a bit like training for the Olympics because like people were training for the Olympics for a good six years. And at the end of that, when you're just about to start the Olympics, no one goes up to you and is like, you know what, it's going to be a tough waste of time. You're going to be miserable. No one ever says that. You should be excited about the fact that you're finally doing something you've been training for and looking forward to this entire time. So that's, that's what I try to do when I like speak to anyone who's getting towards that stage um, to try and neutralize some of the negative um, rhetoric that surrounds it. Yeah, that's a really helpful way to think about it. And so what was your original reason for wanting to go into medicine? Um, so I'd say it was there wasn't anything particularly specific, to be honest. I mean, my parents are both doctors. So um, from a young age, I had some exposure to just the medical profession as a whole. Um, but it, it was yeah, like I just I just always found it very intriguing and, and, and exciting. So learning about I mean, sciences as well. I mean, from a young age, I, I was far more science orientated than anything to do with humanities. Um, so I think the groundwork was there. And then I think just hearing about this type of stuff that my parents did and, and even just, you know, simple things like watching TV shows about doctors, like all of it seemed like something that I was quite interested in as something that would probably click quite well as well, because I felt like my, my skill set was geared towards things like biology and chemistry. And, and I was also interested in the actual 
job that doctors do and then then the type of uh, type of skills that you need to be a good doctor and I felt like all of that was kind of you know compatible with my my own personality and my strengths so um so it was a very sort of gradual thing at no point did I even consider anything else I wasn't at a sort of fork in the roads I felt like it was it was almost just 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 a given that I was going to apply for medicine just given what I was interested in um at the point when I got into you know sixth form lower sixth um so yeah I wouldn't say there was any sort of you know um sort of epiphany type moment it was just a gradual sort of build up of my interests okay I I guess that's probably quite common actually if you've come from a family of doctors it's like well I I like what my parents are doing why not carry on exactly yeah but um have you ever kind of had any doubts along the way because obviously it is so intense and a lot going on have you ever thought what on earth am I doing to be honest like I genuinely don't think I have and I'm, I'm lucky to say that I mean there are some days where you're like oh gosh this is a, a bit bit miserable or a bit difficult or whatever um but I think on the whole I think the issue is that whenever anyone has a negative experience so, so whatever it may be like a you know a patient getting agitated at you or being told off by a senior or something like that that instinctively like evolutionarily where we're designed to like prioritize fear in our memories and, and we seem to recall those instances far more vividly than all the nice things that have happened um so i think that's why sometimes there's this kind of build up of negative energy in 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 your job and in, in sort of job satisfaction as a whole um but i'd say on the whole i just I, like i really do relish those positive moments when something good happens um when i you know make a good diagnosis or i explain something to a patient and they feel very reassured um i managed to do some sort of skill to a relatively decent standard like all of those those like you know little wins i'd like try and cherish those as much as possible because because i think you actively need to like reflect on those moments because those don't necessarily stick in your mind quite as avidly as the negative moments uh, as sad as it may seem um so i've i've on the whole like there's never really been a point where i've felt like you know what gosh i'm i'm sick of this and there's certainly been times that i've been quite tired like if if you've done quite a lot of shifts all at once um but I think now, especially, people are getting to grips with the, the idea of medicine being, be, being, being a job rather than being someone's life, if that makes sense. So, for example, at the end of F2, I'd say the vast majority of doctors at this stage, certainly the vast majority of doctors I know, will take an F3 year um, just because it gives you time. You can do locum shifts. You can pick a specialty that you're interested in and do like a six-month uh, six post in it it gives you a bit of flexibility and it gives you a bit of time to just think about what you really want to do and think about, you know, what else do you enjoy in life and what do you want to prioritize before taking that next step and going into some sort of specialty training. So I feel like the way that things have been arranged thus far, I've been, I've been very happy with, with my job as a, as a doctor and I wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. That's brilliant that you're so positive and very, <laughs> very focused on, well, focusing on the good and the little wins, as you mentioned, and looking forward. And you also mentioned there about specialties and potential F3 years. Yeah. Could you explain what foundation years are to anyone who doesn't actually know? Of course, of course. So, so at the end of, so in the UK, after you finished your medical school, time in medical school, you, you basically automatically get enrolled in the foundation program, which is two years long. Um, and it could be basically anywhere in the UK. You do apply for certain deaneries and areas based on your preference. And there's a number of factors that go into where you actually end up. Um, but after you've done the F1 and F2 year, which usually consists of six four-month rotations in a variety of specialties, like medicine, surgery, you know, obstetrics, gynae, psych, whatever it may be, um, 
at the end of that, or I suppose during your F2 year, you can decide to apply to specialty training. So usually I'd say there's sort of three chunks when it comes to the journey from being fresh out of medical school to becoming a consultant. So the first chunk is foundation years. The second chunk is sort of like early specialty training where you kind of narrow your focus a little bit. And so for example, you're doing medicine or you're doing surgery or you're doing anesthetics. Um, and then after you've done that, you can narrow it even further and do another sort of five to eight years of let's say colorectal surgery instead of just surgery. So that's sort of how the bottleneck works. Um, so at the end of F2, a lot of people are just taking a year out of training where they're technically not in a training program and they're not sort of climbing any sort of ladder, so to speak. But in that year, people can spend it in very different ways. Um, so I, for example, I'm just doing sporadic locum shifts, which means that I just pick up shifts in A&E or ICU in the places that I've worked before. Um, and the benefit of that is you tend to get paid more per shift. I'd say the downfall is that it's a bit less consistent. So I only ever book my shifts a couple of weeks in advance. Um, but it gives you a bit of flexibility. So I can work two or three days a week, make a decent amount of money, um, save up a little bit. And then the plan is to go traveling later on in the year and, and work on my charity as well. Um, so it, so that's one way of spending it. A lot of people do also use it more for kind of portfolio building purposes. So if there's, if there's a specialty they're interested in, which they didn't actually get a chance to do during their F1 and F2 years, they can apply for sort of a single four to six month post in a certain job in, in that job and get a bit of experience under their belts before applying the following year that's a really great explanation thank you I've learned a bit there as well that's really interesting thank you and you mentioned about specialities do you have any speciality for yourself in mind are you just kind of going with the flow at the moment yeah so I mean I've sort of slightly changed my mind quite recently so I think when I was in F1 um, I mainly realized that I just love love medicine as a specialty so medical things like respiratory cardiology gastro all of that stuff uh, far more than anything surgical um, but then in my F2 year my, my two main placements were A&E and intensive care and I just realized I, I really enjoyed A&E I don't think I want to do that long term but I would quite happily do another job in it um, and then I particularly loved intensive care it was just something that uh, a bit like, like like how you asked about um, how I decided to do medicine it's a, bit, it's a bit, bit sort of similar with ICU really I felt like everything just fell into place. And I felt like I really enjoyed learning what was going on in ICU. I found it really intriguing and quite exciting as well, everything that was going on there. So I think my long-term plan is to um, do intensive care. Um, but given that I've just finished that first chunk of those three chunks I was talking about, uh, the next chunk would be sort of narrowing my focus towards anesthetics and intensive care. And then after that, you do sort of longer specialty training so so my plan is to uh, apply for a specialty training program called acute care common stem or accs um, which mainly focuses on things like a e intensive care anesthetics um, so i'll be hopefully starting that program provided the whole application process goes well um, in august next year okay that's great and uh, it's interesting you said that you didn't you haven't always wanted to do that that hasn't always been a plan you've only just changed right. it exactly yeah it's good you can kind of switch it up and change it. You don't need to have it all planned out. Exactly. And I think that's one of the benefits of doing an F3 year as well, because if you didn't, you'd have to decide that basically about 13 months after, after starting working, which I think is pretty early. Whereas I think when you've, you've had a couple of years out of uni, there's also you know lifestyle factors and things to, things to consider as well. 
um, because a lot of people, you know, they go into med school, some of them may think that they want to do oncology for whatever reason, but realistically, there are certain lifestyle things, like things in your life do change in those five years of med school and then in the two or three years afterwards. Um, so it's important to sort of stay, stay in tune in touch with all of that stuff rather than kind of pigeonholing yourself too early um, because you may, may miss out on something that could be a pretty wonderful and compatible career for you if you sort of hedge your bets a bit too much too soon. So I think it's important to have a bit of an open mind and, uh, and just, just stay open to the fact that things may change and your, and your priorities may change and your aspirations may change as well. Definitely. And that's really good. You personally kept an open mind as well because yeah. now you're doing what you're enjoying because you said you find it really exciting and that's exactly that's what you want out of your career isn't it Absolutely. So that's great, brilliant and also you mentioned about ICU and AE, so that leads me nicely on to my next question what is the most gory story you've encountered as a junior doctor that is a good question it's it's a bit it's a, it's a bit subjective because it depends on what someone counts as gory um mm-hmm. I mean I've seen some like there's there's been some cases which are quite quite sad really i mean sometimes you get patients who are who are who have various hematological cancers um and then they get they get things like stem cell transplants where essentially their their bone marrow is completely wiped out so it means that they basically have no well not much endogenous blood cell production Uh, they become very sort of bleedy because all of their clotting factors all of their platelets everything like that basically disappears um, and that can leave people extremely unwell. So I think that's probably one of the most sort of graphic things I've seen before is, is patients who've, who've had those kind of conditions where they are sort of bleeding from absolutely everywhere. And it's quite difficult to contain. We can try and give them as many blood products and treat it as conservatively and, and supportively as possible. But it can be a bit of a, a bit of a tricky, tricky battle to try and try and balance all of those things. So that's um, so that's been that was something that was quite, um, quite sort of, you know, staggering and, and takes you back takes you back a bit um and then i've done i've done a few shifts uh, because I've, I've worked at st mary's before as well and it's a major trauma center um so you do see a lot of uh, quite sad cases where patients where people have end up in road traffic accidents and then things like that and end up with just life-changing um injuries um which are quite quite like you know it's, it's really like when you see it you're quite you know, you don't really know where to start because there's just so much going on and people have what's called polytrauma where there's just broken bones, broken everything, just absolutely everywhere. Um, so those kind of cases as well, I think the trauma stuff is something that I also find quite like, quite quite intensely very, very gory as well. Um, but I think my in- interests on the whole tend to be the subtler things in general. So in, in, um, in the ICU that I previously worked in, it was a very medical ICU. So so patients may look relatively okay, but there's actually a lot going on physiologically underneath. And that's what I liked about ITU is that you could, um, you had all the sort of means of, of measuring things quite closely. You could measure what's going on in their blood. You could measure their blood pressure very closely, how they're breathing, etc., and sort of piece together how that entire organ system is operating and figure out how you can optimize things and get patients better. So, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, i there wasn't a single answer to that, really. There's a few sort of different types of gory things I've seen before. Um, but I'd say the trauma stuff in particular is, is definitely definitely the worst. Mm, yeah, that definitely qualifies for the gory story list. But it, it is still sad, of course, because when you watch programmes, medical programmes that aren't real, that are dramas, you're like, oh, yeah, a bit of blood, a bit of yeah. like bones sticking out. And then when you're doing it in real life, I'm sure you're like, this is an actual person. Like, this is actually exactly. really, really sad. So I suppose I haven't really seen that side of things, but 
yeah the way you're talking about it, it is it's horrible to see but it's good that you're obviously working to help them and that's the whole point exactly of the job. yeah yeah exactly it's, it's it's very it is quite sort of you know catches your breath a bit but but at the same time it's it's a privileged position to be in where someone is, is literally at the other worst moment or worst state they've ever been in their lives and you're there being someone who can help them out and i think that's an incredibly like, privileged position to be in whatever happens in the end you're one of the few people around who can actually do something about it yeah and that's what makes medicine and being a doctor so amazing absolutely so now on to the other side of what you do you are the founder and lead editor of make a medic so could you explain a bit about what that is and what it does of course, yeah. So Make a Medic was a it's it's a it's a registered charity now, but it's something that I founded in 2019, which is when I was in my fifth year of medical school. Um, I'd previously the, the reason it came about was that I, I mean I'd previously done quite a lot of peer-to-peer teaching. So I'd I'd done lots of you know student society stuff where I give lectures and tutorials to to younger medical students. Um, and I'd also done some charity work way before when I was much younger, mainly when I was at school. Um, because I'm from Sri Lanka originally, and I used to raise some money just amongst friends and family and use it to do various projects at uh, rural schools and orphanages in Sri Lanka. So like I, I had an interest in doing that kind of that kind of work. And I also loved medical education. And, and in my fifth year of med school, I started Make a Medic. But to be totally honest, it was a very, um, very low key student society. We didn't do an awful lot. It was just like, you know, the odd pub quiz, raise a bit of money, send some textbooks to Sri Lanka. It was nothing especially groundbreaking and it was actually when COVID struck that it, it sort of hit a turning point so we uh, so I, I received a few messages from from people in the year below me who were saying we've got our exams coming up all of our teaching has stopped and we're struggling a little bit is there anything that you can do to help and they were just asking me not on behalf of make a medic but just because they knew I liked teaching um, so then I just thought you know what I've got loads of time on my hands it was COVID um, I'd go to work, but in the evenings, none of us were really doing anything much. Um, so I used that time to develop some like, like uh, video tutorials, some slide decks, like basically just create a bit of a library of, of medical educational resources. And then eventually the penny dropped that I could perhaps do a few events where I run a course for medical students at an affordable price and, uh, and, and raise some money for Make a Medic and then use that money to invest in some sort of project abroad so the way the make a medic works now is that we produce courses and online resources for medical students and we always market them at what we consider to be a very affordable price so usually 15 to 20 pounds or something like that um because we never want like obviously we want to raise as much money as possible but we don't don't want to want that want that to come at the expense of a medical student we don't want any medical student to think you know what that's too high a financial barrier i won't be able to access those resources and um, so we create all of this stuff and we, we prioritize it being high quality and sort of going back to the point i mentioned about why i chose imperial i, I like teaching stuff sort of from the ground up so rather than just rote learning things um, for the sake of exams i like to try and explain things as best as possible so the kind of mechanistic knowledge is instilled in the people who are watching these videos and and going through these courses um, so we raise money by doing that. And then the, the projects that we do, um, they sort of have to fulfill a few criteria. Um, they're either med ed focused. So, for example, we've trained six Ugandan um, medical students in vaccine delivery, um, or it needs to be kind of public health orientated as well. So quite recently, um, we built a 75,000 litre rainwater catchment tank and some um, like ventilated latrines at a secondary school in Kenya. So that's kind of like the two aspects we are we are going for at the moment 
Um, but Maker Medic has just sort of, you know, just grown more and more uh, as time has gone on. Um, I put quite a lot of time into it to grow our resource library and, you know, add value to the medical education market. Um, and basically, we've been able to be a bit more ambitious with our projects as well. We've made quite a lot more money in the last year than we did the year before. And it means that we can do ever more sort of expansive projects going forwards. Um, so that's sort of in a nutshell uh, what Make a Medic does. But we also actually, I mean, for your audience, we have um, a, a branch of Make a Medic called Grassroots, which focuses on providing aspiring medics like yourself with the guidance and the advice necessary to be able to do well uh, in your medical application process. And because we are a charity and we run basically projects abroad, um, we also offer students in their you know, lower sixth years across the country the opportunity to set up a small committee at their school um, assign roles as they see fit run fundraisers and and raise some money for us as well and the reason we do that we don't we really don't care about how much money is raised that's kind of irrelevant it's more to give students the means of actually ticking those boxes for the application so showing leadership teamwork volunteering all in one um, fairly easily um, so that's sort of the grassroots aspect of it but that on the whole is what make a medic is and does that's absolutely amazing thank you for that because I did a bit of research before coming on the podcast but I didn't know all of that and that's really good what you're doing I mean what do you say Uganda and Kenya and Sri Lanka reaching out to all those places as well as UK med students and pre-med students that is that's amazing that's really good <laughs> thank you it's, it's kept me busy but it's, it's a really fun thing to do I mean it, it just it's nice to have something to focus on on the side yeah it's really interesting what 2020 and 2021 that being able to stay at home for a long period of time it's interesting how some people did absolutely nothing and <laughs> people managed to grow these big businesses and projects and things yeah no it, 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 it honestly kept me sane as well I mean it, it was nice to get back home and just have something to just work on like chip away at um it, it's I mean it's the same sort of principle as you know things like paint by numbers like it's, it's the same sort of thing really it's, it's just having something some sort of longitudinal project that you're just chipping away at constantly and you reap the rewards of it bit by bit as you go forwards definitely and so how can people get involved in making medic and help out with their projects sure so we've got um so at the moment actually we quite recently did a bit of a recruitment because we've, we've grown quite a bit and we needed a few extra personnel to 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 uh, accompany that growth um so ways that people can help i mean we've got our sort of core committee sorted as it is and um, we are recruiting brand ambassadors so that's medical students from basically any medical school in the country and um, because we want to have some way of actually distributing our content and making people aware of what we do at medical schools outside London to be honest because within London we're fairly well established especially at Imperial and people know what we do like the resources and spread it amongst their friends um, but in more distant parts of the country and medical schools elsewhere it's a bit harder to actually crack through we can post on you know newsletters and stuff as much as we like but there's going to be another 100 posts that sound roughly the same um, so it's it's important for us to get some sort of you know personal voice in these places to actually um, promote what we're doing so that's that's one uh, way that medical students can get involved um, as for school students I mean we're just launching this whole grassroots satellite program um, so we're trying to reach out to um, well teachers I suppose in the first instance uh, at non-fee paying state schools across the UK and sending them essentially like a fundraising pack. So it's just a PDF which lists how we actually run this. It's very, 
very sort of um self-sustained i mean we, we give like a, we give the support and the guidance necessary but the idea is that a group of a few students who want to do medicine will get together and be like okay let's set up this committee ask their school for permission to run a cake sale or non-school uniform day or whatever we give them you know the, the branding materials needed if they wanted to print stuff out um, and then they can raise a bit of money get a letter from us at the end of it being like a thank you letter essentially explaining what they've done for make a medic and being part of the scheme also means that you get access to um, the doctors that are within make a medic will be able to run sort of quite small group sessions intimate sessions explaining what life is like as junior doctor giving all kinds of experiences really um, so that's something that's open to aspiring medics basically anywhere across the country and if that's something that's of interest and you think your school or college would um, would be interested in running such a thing then I'd, I'd welcome anyone to get in touch really and we'll try and sort something out for them brilliant and I'll put the link for make a medic in my link tree so anyone listening go and check that out now and yeah get involved that sounds really good being able to do it at school as well exactly yeah brilliant so finally to finish off what are your top three tips on how to get to where you are today oh gosh okay top three <laughs> tips um so one thing i would say um so this ties into everything i mentioned right at the start um is to not be too swayed by things that things that are sort of just said around you with regards to the medical profession because i think there is a bit of a kind of negativity culture going on where where it's almost the default to speak negatively about things and i've had these conversations with my friends who are doctors and and they say that sometimes like sometimes they feel a bit weird saying anything positive about their day because that just doesn't seem to be done and i just think that's a bit sad i think i think it's a bit sad that it's got to a point where the default is to be to be negative about about the job and it actually feels almost a bit weird to say anything particularly positive about it. So one thing I want to say is that, I mean, I, I personally have had a wonderful time being a doctor and there's a lot of positives about it. And I think it's important to keep an open mind, be realistic about, you know, the challenges uh, that you'll face um, being a doctor. But then also there is just so much good out there as well. And it's a very privileged position to be in. Um, so I think, yeah, just don't lose, don't let other people... Uh, sort of quell your enthusiasm is is one big tip um the second one this is quite a pragmatic tip um is actually just it's something i wish i started sooner but it's just to read books basically that, that sounds like a silly thing to say um but it's something that i only really got into over the last i'd say three or four years um and i've just found that it's probably the single thing that has given me the greatest return on investment so it can be books on whatever like some topics that you're interested in it could be Know, astronomy or economics or whatever um or it could be fiction it could be anything i think the benefits are if i had to quickly list them uh, one of them is that you just get so much better at organizing your thoughts and actually vocalizing as well because you're constantly looking at words you're processing words and hence you just become better at managing the english language if that makes sense and so I found that by reading a lot, I got got quite a lot better, like interviews, writing things, um, and that all really did help in the long run. I think there's just so many things to gain from it. And I think it's also nice to have something that you're learning about outside medicine. Of course, you know, working as a doctor can be kind of intellectually quite exhausting, but I think it's... Um, it's a bit like it's a bit it's almost a bit like going to the gym where you don't necessarily work the same muscle group all the time. Sometimes you want to do something slightly different because it's good for you 
and it also just still maintains like a level of activity which which is good in the long run so i really find it quite i really enjoy like reading about various other topics um outside medicine just because i feel like it just keeps my curiosity ticking away um it makes me feel like i'm sort of better able to relate to other people as well so i really do think reading reading books is actually a, a really really important thing um, and i'd say the third and final point is, is mainly just about not comparing yourself too much to other people um, because medicine can be quite a fiercely competitive field um, with a lot of quite um, quite uh, sort of type A personalities. And it can end up becoming quite unpleasant at times, especially when people are getting towards exams. You're all doing the same exams. And hence, there is quite a obvious way of comparing yourselves. Um, but in reality, it's a very individual thing. Um, you're sort of just working against yourself more than anything else. And we all study differently. We all have different strengths. And at the end of the day, we all just want to be good doctors. So you're running your races quite independently. And it's important to try and keep it that way and just focus on what you can do to better yourself rather than worrying too much about what everyone else is doing. So I'd say those are my three main tips. That's so helpful. Thank you. That's such valuable insight and advice. So one, don't be swayed by what other people say because you don't want to be negative foundation your doctor who comes home thinking oh no well that was great you, yeah positivity you need to be really really yeah you're in medicine like woo Absolutely. And then number two read books see now my dad is gonna listen to this and say see I told you you need to read books, <laughs> need to read books. but it is it is so true and the thing you said about vocalizing your thoughts I think a lot of people around my stage and at med school I'm sure you find it very hard to vocalize their thoughts they'll have something and they're just like I don't know how to say it so read books guys then number three don't compare yourself to other people in your uni and in the medical field around you which is so true with anything really isn't it and it's so easy to do yet so damaging so don't compare yourself yep absolutely well thank you for being on the podcast it's been absolutely great to have you no problem no thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure that's all today from the Medicinergy podcast. If you'd like to hear the best bits from all the other episodes, then head over to the Medicinergy Instagram to find out more.